Under the Cortex is supported by Macmillan Learning Psychology. Do early attachments influence later relationships? What about the link between attachment and personality disorders? Is there a common structure? This is Under the Cortex. I am Özge Gürcanlı Fischerbaum with the Association for Psychological Science. To answer these questions, I have two experts with me today. Dr. Madison Smith from Northwestern University and Dr. Susan South from Purdue University. They recently published an article in APS's journal, Clinical Psychological Science, to explore whether attachment and personality disorders are connected. Madison and Susan, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to Under the Cortex. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's fun to be here. I'm going to start right away. I am very excited that you are here. You know that attachment is a recent popular topic in the public eye, but psychological researchers have been investigating attachment patterns for decades. How did you first get interested in this topic? That's a really good question. So um, I actually first discovered uh, attachment and attachment theory for my research in graduate school. Um, and, you know, later in graduate school, I was feeling a little bit hodgepodge-ish with my research. And um, I think I found myself really thinking about and wanting a, a framework that would scaffold my research. I wanted something that I could use to really organize a lot of the findings that I had had so far. Um, and so, you know, during this time, as I was thinking about this and, and really seeking this framework, I was also seeing patients. Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I was seeing patients, and I was being trained in clinical frameworks that um, sort of harken more to like psychoanalytic traditions that, that touch upon attachment patterns as part of the therapy. And um, this sort of, it, it additionally got me interested in in it, but it, it sort of led me to seek out papers and other sources that would help me to serve the patients that I was seeing a little bit better. Um, and this is when I started reading research by people like Ken Levy, by people like Judith Feeney, Chris Fraley, and others. Um, so it was it was a journey to get to where I am now, um, but it really was a confluence of this like research curiosity wanting to serve my patients a little bit better and um, wanting to know if the thoughts and the ideas that I had were unusual or if other people thought them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a fascinating story. Susan, what about you? Well, I'm just so proud of Madison because she's made these connections between two fields that just historically have not talked to each other. Um, attachment theory and individual differences researchers really just haven't talked to each other much. Um, and so I think Madison, with her background and um, how she started getting involved in this, was uniquely suited to bridge attachment, adult romantic attachment style and personality. Right. So, but I want to take a step back and Madison, you told us about your clinical experience in practice, right? So why is it an important topic attachment for clinical researchers? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think um, part of the reason that I was really attracted to attachment and why I think it's important for all clinical researchers to at least be aware of it as a thing 
um, is I think it gives a depth of perspective that um, we don't really get from a lot of other clinical theories. So, so I use the example of trait theories um, of personality a lot. You know, if we're looking at something like the five factor model of neuroticism, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, and agreeableness, um, those are things that seek to describe phenomena, right? But they don't explain it. They don't explain the, the more elusive questions of like, why does this happen? How does it play out in everyday life? But I think, you know, attachment is unique in that it gives this depth of perspective. It really speaks very elegantly um, to all of these different levels that we might be interested in. Yeah. So you are connecting uh, our emotions with the trait theory. So that is the exciting part for me. And when I read your article, I noticed that you highlight like three main concepts. So emotional reliability, detachment and vulnerability. Can you explain to our listeners what these concepts are and also why you chose these three concepts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, before I actually answer your question, I did want to make the point that um, these things are on like spectra and dimension. So I do think it's important for listeners to be aware of the fact that everyone has some level of these things. It's not like a yes, no type of thing um, that, you know, everyone has some emotional content to their personality. It's really only when things get to a very extreme level or it causes distress to somebody experiencing it or to somebody close to them, um, that it really becomes personality pathology. Um, and I use that term intentionally because I think personality disorders can be very diagnostic and personality pathology is something broader and sort of more accessible to, to folks. Um, so to actually answer your question, these were the three areas that we found some commonalities between attachment and personality pathology. So emotional ability, and this might be a very unscientific answer, but I, I think of it in my mind as like bad stuff, right? It's a tendency to experience negative emotions, regardless sort of, of what that emotion is, um, more often and more intensely. Detachment, on the other hand, um, I like to think about is like the tendency for people to distance themselves from others, right? So individuals very, very high in this trait may be uncomfortable in social situations, um, and they may not really seek out close relationships. And again, this isn't necessarily a problem. Some people prefer not to have um, many close relationships, which is completely normal and fine. Um, but detachment is really the extreme variant of that, someone who really has no relationships at all, for instance. Um, and then lastly, vulnerability. Um, how we defined it in, in the paper is this general sensitivity to like the thoughts and the opinions of others, right? So someone very, very high in this trait might be sensitive to rejection, they might be easily influenced by social situations, and they might be highly dependent on other people to make decisions for them or to guide their activities of daily living, for instance. Mm -hmm. And when you were uh, connecting these concepts with the personality disorders, were there other notions that uh, you used or were there other patterns that you discovered? Yeah, so there were a couple of other really key concepts that we found that really didn't share a whole lot of commonality with attachment. Um, and those two broadly correspond to the two other factors of the five-factor model, right? So it's what we termed, um, or what other people have termed, oddity. So it's this tendency to 
maybe have odd ideas or like very fanciful ideas about how the world works um, to maybe have a very, very active um, like imaginary life. Some people even define this as part of the psychosis spectrum. Um, although that's a point of, of contention as well. Um, and then uh, the other one was antagonism, right? So the tendency to be, um, to have some level of like meanness towards other people, right? To disrespect the rights of others um, and to be, um, to, to just sort of like disregard um, other people and, and, and their rights, right? So this would encompass things like fraud, like assault, um, someone who is very interpersonally antagonistic. Mm -hmm. And in your study, uh, you tested two different groups, college students and adults receiving psychological treatment. What was the reason behind this choice? And then can you also tell us about your results a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of the, the sample question, you know, when we think about college students also, this is a very privileged group of people. And we know that this doesn't really represent the U.S. population, right? So um, I wanted to at least make an attempt to have some of my findings be relevant to the people who might be experiencing the things that I was studying. Um, at the same time, I also wanted to ensure that the findings that I had weren't only applicable to that group, right? That we could, we could have just like attachment theory itself, some level of universality. Um, and so I did want to also recruit college students to have a, and excuse my use of this term, it's not the strictest use of this term, but a quote unquote control group of healthy folks um, that I could sort of compare my findings in. Now, in terms of like the, the sort of second part to your question, which was the main study findings, um, I do think the main takeaway from this project is that at least the way we're measuring attachment or insecure romantic attachment specifically and personality pathology really cannot be considered separate things, right? So these sorts of theoretical and measurement traditions have been developed separately, right? They've been developed in completely separate circles. As, as you mentioned, clinical researchers don't often dip their toes into attachment and attachment itself is split between a couple of different camps. Um, so I think the main finding from this project is that we can't we can't really misconstrue these things as completely separate anymore. Um, now, I want to be clear in saying that this doesn't mean that the experience of insecure attachment and the experience of personality pathology or the larger theories themselves are exactly the same. Um, that's going to take more research up to the point of like meta-analysis, but I do think this was an important first step um, in sort of urging us a little bit more towards let's not separate things that are actually the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? What type of attachment style goes with what type of personality disorder? It is, I know it is not a direct relationship. It is not a black and white as I am forming this question. But what is your intuition in general uh, based on your evidence? Yeah, so what we found in the study is that those three areas that I described earlier, the emotional ability, detachment, and vulnerability, are really the three areas where the measurement traditions of, of personality pathology and the measurement traditions of attachment really can't 
at least statistically, we're not separate from each other, right? Um, and so when we actually look at the very specific results for emotional lability specifically, um, and, and to be clear, I measured attachment as anxious attachment and avoidant attachment, right? Avoidant attachment being the tendency to um, be uncomfortable with close social relationships, um, to not want to rely on other people, and anxious attachment being this like extreme need for closeness to others um, or to an attachment figure. Um, we really saw both of those things um, cohering with uh, emotional ability, right? Um, and this is this is pretty consistent with some theories of what we call disorganized attachment which is sort of just the combination of these two, or like the fluctuation between anxious and avoidant attachment. Um, and that looks, what we sort of wrote in our paper, that looks really similar to someone who has trouble regulating their emotions. Um, and so that's actually exactly what we found. Uh, in terms of the detachment and the vulnerability, we saw detachment really going along with um, avoidant attachment, right? So again, these things are defined almost identically, where I describe detachment as like um, distancing oneself from close others, and avoidant attachment is almost exactly described the same. Um, and so we really saw those two going together. And then lastly, for vulnerability, that really went along with anxious attachment, which I think makes a lot of sense, right? Someone who is very dependent on other people um, and really requires others' approval, is very sensitive to rejection, probably also wants to ensure the, the extreme closeness of that person um, so they can rely on that individual for, for those um, types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like how you talk about your results because you are, I know that you are being careful, you are avoiding uh, not to label personality disorders by category, right? So I think that's a huge contribution of your research. And um, I have two more questions for you before I let you go to both of you. So one, uh, where are you going to go? with your current results, the communities you find uh, are remarkable, and I would love to personally uh, see more research in this area. And second, uh, do you think your results apply to cross-cultural contexts? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, um, ironically, my answer to both of those questions will, will probably be about the same. Um, so... I, one of the other findings um, from this paper that I was really interested in and, and spurred a lot of my future thought um, was we separated our sample by um, gender. And we looked at how these things um, might sort of go together for men versus women. These were cisgender men, cisgender women. And we found some important differences that I won't get into the weeds on. Um, but so that got me really interested in how these things manifest uniquely for different portions of the population, right? And so I sort of ensured, to the extent possible, working on a graduate student budget, <laughs> um, I ensured, I, I wanted to try and ensure representativeness in the constructs that I had under study, right? So that's why I recruited a treatment-seeking sample and, and college students. Um, but I do think it's an open question as to whether insecure attachment and personality pathology, um, sort of as larger constructs and theories, or as 
you know, simple measurement traditions um, are truly invariant across different portions of the population. So, for instance, we have some good evidence for personality pathology, and, and you're absolutely right that the field is moving away from diagnostic categories. So when I describe things, I'm describing a perfect prototype, but that's not really how we talk as the field anymore. We talk in terms of spectra and dimensions and things like that. Um, we have a good sense that personality pathology, how we're measuring it, is invariant across things like sex, um, and we know that as a theory, attachment has a really good level of universality. Um, but we do have some measurement controversies, I think, still existing in terms of whether these things function similarly for, for instance, sexual and gender minorities, um, for people of different socioeconomic statuses, for people of different disability statuses. Um, and so, you know, my current position is actually in a research institute focused on sexual and gender minority health. Um, and a lot of my work now is looking towards um, sex, gender, and sexuality as moderators of these things um, and looking at how, how these communities may uniquely experience or be stigmatized by our current labels for these things. What do you think, Susan? What do you think the next steps are? I know that uh, this is a joint research you did and I know it is Medicine's baby, but what are your insights about the future? What I think is really fascinating about this study is the fact that there wasn't really a good uh, corollary between antagonism from personality pathology and attachment. That's where the attachment measures, constructs, whatever you want to call it, that are currently in use and that Madison used really sort of failed to capture that type of personality pathology. And I find that incredibly interesting because there are so many pitfalls of being high in antagonism. And those people are out there. There are people out there who just are at the extreme, extreme edge of antagonism, and they are a problem to themselves and certainly to society. So I'm really interested in how attachment might be extended to describe those people, what's missing from the attachment theory right now that might be able to describe them. Um, so I think that's a really important area for future research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Madison, is there anything else that you would like to share with our uh, listeners? No, I mean, I think we've, we've pretty well covered it. I think, um, you know, if anything that I'll leave folks with, I think the really magical part of this project for me was being able to read these original sources and connect to the ideas very slowly um, and difficultly at times, but um, to connect these ideas sort of across across decades in some cases. Um, and so I would encourage folks to read some of the sources that I cite in this paper. Um, I cited things that really influenced my own thinking and to form your own conclusions about these things. Um, I also love talking with folks about this and, and chewing on these ideas. Um, so, you know, folks are more than welcome to contact me and, and love, love chatting about these things. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so people should keep an open eye, right? And then open heart too, when they try to understand um, this field and how the field is moving away from categories. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Madison and Susan, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks very much. 
This is Özge Gürcanlı Fischerbaum with APS, and I have been speaking to Dr. Madison Smith from Northwestern University and Dr. Susan South from Purdue University. If you want to learn more about this research, visit psychologicalscience.org. Are you looking for a way to connect with every student in your course and help each individual succeed? Macmillan Learning has the solution. Achieve for Psychology. Achieve offers goal setting and reflection surveys that allow students to share their aspirations, thoughts, concerns, and obstacles about successful learning. These valuable insights enable you to catch students before they're in crisis. Use the goal setting and reflection data to tailor your teaching to meet the needs of each student, both as individuals and as a class. Don't just take our word for it, experience it yourself. Visit macmillanlearning.com slash under the cortex for an introductory tour today. Macmillan's Achieve for Psychology, engaging every student, supporting every instructor, setting the new standard for teaching and learning.